It says in verse 1, Nevertheless, the, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation, when at the first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan in Galilee of the nations. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death upon them hath the light shined. Thou hast multiplied the nation and not increased the joy. They joy before thee according to the joy in harvest, and as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For thou hast broken the yoke of his burden and the staff on his shoulder, the rod of his oppressors, as in the day of Midian. For every battle of the warrior is with confused noise, and the garments rolled in blood, but this shall be the burning and fuel of fire. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Let's pray before we go any farther. Father God, I pray that you would help me to rightly uh, proclaim your word. I pray, God, that you give me the exact words to say. I pray that there would be uh, a, 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 the right direction in my thoughts, Lord. I, I pray, God, that you would help me to, to, to speak in a way that is understandable to your, to your people. And God, I pray that your spirit would, would accomplish all that you would have us to this morning. Hide me behind the cross. Lord, hide me behind, the, the, behind Christ. And uh, Lord, I pray that he's glorified. Lord, that he is exalted and lifted up. We ask this in, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. This prophecy that we see here is, is, speaking of, is partially speaking of, at this point in time when it was written, prophecy is something that reveals, it's, it's a revelation, revelatory, right? Uh, uh, so the first part of this prophecy was revelatory of the first advent. We see both the first advent and the second advent, the first coming and the second coming of Christ in this passage. We see the, the first advent, advent, for unto us a, a son, a, a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And we, we, we understand that this is speaking of the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We just sang, O little town of Bethlehem, uh, uh, hark the herald angels sing. We, it, uh, these these, uh, these songs that we've been singing as we've been leading up into Christmas, uh, they, they are opening and re- remembering and celebrating the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But Jesus Christ didn't come to this earth to be, uh, to be born a baby in a manger. He came to be born so that he could die for our sins. That's the first advent. His, his mission on this, on this earth was not to be a, a child. Uh, his mission uh, to, was to die, to be the propitiation, the payment for our sins. We also see the second part of the, uh, the second advent, and, and as it talks about the, the government shall be upon his so- shoulders. We understand that Jesus Christ is going to reign forever and ever and ever. There, there will come a time, the Bible tells us in, in the book of Philippians, that every knee shall bow, that every tongue will confess. In fact, we see that here uh, in this passage, that there's going to come a time when, when the enemies of Israel and the enemies of God have been defeated, and everyone will come around the throne of God, and they are going to call him wonderful. Counselor, the mighty God, the Prince of Peace. Uh, listen, uh, he's the, the everlasting Father. That is our Savior, Jesus Christ. 
As we've looked at, as we've looked at uh, the, the names that he shall be called in, these, in the past couple of weeks, we looked at uh, the, the name Wonderful and the fact that, that, uh, that he is wonderful and what that means and, and that, uh, how that should cause us to, to wonder. Uh, we looked at the, last week at uh, the fact that he is the, uh, a counselor. We looked at his uh, infinite wisdom and, his, uh, and how we can come to him and, and seek him uh, in wisdom. Today we're going to look at the third name uh, that we see here, and it is the mighty God. There is going to come a time when all will come to him and, and they will call him the mighty God. Now, first of all, let, I just want to establish this truth. That regardless of whether or not people call him the mighty God, he still is the mighty God. But there will come a time when every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Uh, uh, today we're going to look at uh, the fact that, 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 that he is the mighty God. Now, there are two, uh, two Hebrew words that we see uh, that are translated into the mighty God. And as we look at this, the first one is El. It's the word, uh, the word that is translated God. It means the Almighty. He is absolutely the Almighty. It, it, it lends us to the idea, it, it leads us to the thought that, uh, that, uh, of His omnipotence. He's all-powerful. Today we're going to talk about the power that we see in Christ and what that power, how we can worship Him in that power and how that should affect us. But He absolutely is the Almighty One. But the previous word, before God in this, the Mighty God, it's the Hebrew word Gabor Gabor. It means powerful. It implies one who's victorious. There will come a day when all his enemies have been defeated, when Satan has been bound and cast into, uh, with, the, with death and hell into the lake of fire for all eternity. And can I say this? That he is the all-victorious, almighty, all-powerful God. He had victory over sin and he had victory over death. Praise God. He is the almighty God. The word the here, I love how it's translated the mighty God tells us he's not just a mighty God. Uh, Dan asked me this morning uh, what the, the message was on, and I, I gave him the title. Uh, the, and he, he typed in trying to find a picture to put up here uh, for, uh, for the, the thing. And he typed in mighty God, and it came up with a bunch of uh, is, what the Buddhist, Buddhist gods and a bunch of other stuff. And I, I said, there's a problem with that. It's because he's not a mighty God. He's the mighty God. Uh, you're not going to say that, that, that he's one of many. He is unique. There is no one like our Savior, Jesus Christ. There is no one that comes even close. He, he is head above all others because he is our God. We're going to look this morning at, at, his, at this mighty God, at Christ's power, first of all, as creator. Look over with me, if you would, at John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Verses 1 through 3. It says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was, was not anything made that was made. Colossians 1.16 says this, For by Him were all things created, that are in heaven and that are in earth visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. I want you to understand as we look at this world around us, we live in, I don't like snow. <laughs> I'm not a, 
I'm okay with cold, whatever, we're in Maine, I, I get it, I, I've been here for 20, 22 years now, it's a long, man, I'm getting old, uh, but uh, I've been here in, in Maine for 20, I've been here in Maine for 22 years, and, and I'm getting used to the weather and the storms and all this, there's power in storms. There's power in weather. There's, uh, there's, there's beauty in the creation. Uh, I love going down to the coast. Uh, I love taking my, my family up to, 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 to uh, up north, the, the, the national park there, Acadia. Uh, Acadia National Park. And going down to, to, to see Sand Beach and, and uh, a Thunder Hole, that's always cool, especially if you're there at the right time of the year. The first time I was there, it wasn't so thunderous. It was more like a gentle wave lapping. But, but man, if you're there at the right time, there's a... Man, what a powerful, booming sound. And it's, it's amazing to look at this creation around us. And this is just a small part of the, of, of the creation. Uh, there is greater, more beautiful, larger, uh, uh, just amazing things that, that God in his power created. I look up in the heavens and I see the stars and the, 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 the beauty of the, 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 the stars and the, all that we can see as we look up in the heaven. And then you get a telescope and some of these massive telescopes and all that they can see. It is amazing when I look at that. You know what the Bible tells me? The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiworks. I see all this and listen, I don't see chaos. I don't see... Have you ever... Let me, let me just say this. Order does not come from chaos. The more I study, the more I look at this world, uh, I see more a, a designing hand, a, a, a creative power. I don't just see a, a paint. I, I hate going to, to art shows because sometimes you get people that can paint and they paint pictures. And that's great. That's beautiful. But then you go to get people and they take, they take paint and they just throw it. And it splatters. Now, there's no real creative genius there. It's just happenstance. They, uh, they, there was no mind behind it other than somebody thought, I wonder what it look, would look like. And I think I want to call that me. I don't know. There's some thought behind it, but I don't get it, just to be honest with you. But I look at this world around me, and, and listen, I studied medicine as I prepared to become a paramedic, and I, the more I studied the human body, and the more, man, you see the order in all of those things. You see the, 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 law, the natural law that binds it all together. God created that. There's not a building out there that did not have a builder somewhere. An architect who designed and drew it up. Uh, someone who, who came along and, and, and laid the brick and, and the mortar. Somebody who, who put up the drywall and, and put the... Listen, those things did not happen. Somebody came and designed those things. You look around this world and, the, and the people will tell you, oh, well, there was an explosion. It just... Ha no! Somebody created it. The, the universe was not self-produced, but it had a cause. It had a beginning. Order does not come from chaos. Matter and energy do not produce themselves, but rather they are produced. And we look at this world around us and we understand this, that this captivating magnificence of the heavens and the beauty of the earth has only one point of reference, and that was God. I, ran, I, I met a man years ago. I was, I was driving uh, for Uber for a couple of, uh, for a couple of years, uh, and I met this young man, and I always got to have some really interesting conversations. Now, I... I because I was working, I did not, I was very careful in what I did, but I always carried my Bible up on my dashboard, and it sparked a lot of conversations. It was kind of, kind of nice. This one young man got in my car, and I was, I was driving him. He was probably 30 years old, and, and uh, he saw my Bible, and he says, are, are, are you a Christian? And I said, I am, actually. I'm a pastor. 
and we started to we started to talk about uh, about uh, about a few things, and 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 it came up that, and I asked him, I said, "Are you a Christian?" And he said, "I, I am," and I, I said, "Well, can you tell me how you got saved? You know, what what's your testimony?" And he said, I, "I was actually I grew up in an atheist home. My parents were were uh, were scientists. Uh, he, was, he was not from America, or his parents were immigrants to America, but his parents were scientists. They were, they were very intelligent." And he goes, and they told me that I would find all the answers to the world in science. He goes, and I believed them. And I began to dive into that and, and study, study these things for myself. And he goes, at first, everything pointed to science. He goes, but when you take it all the way to the end, I got to the point where, where the, the, there were no answers on where, where everything began, what caused all this. Uh, uh, and, and listen, I've heard... I have heard people say, I heard an atheist in a, in a debate say, well, when they would say, well, where did that come from? Well, where did that come from? And he says, well, maybe aliens brought it. They're willing to accept any other thought, any other theory other than the fact that, or the, the idea that somebody created it all. And he said, I got to that point and I didn't know what to do. And he goes, one day, I, I, I picked up a Bible for the first time in my life. Because I didn't know what, what to read. I'd never read it before, so I opened up to the first page, and I read, In the beginning, God. Whew. He said, that, that set me on a journey where God opened my eyes and revealed to me that He is the creator of all things. And I want you to understand that as we worship God, I want you to understand His power is, uh, uh, that, that He is the creator. But notice that, that verse that we read in John chapter 1. He said, In the beginning, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It is later identified as the Word that became flesh, and his name was Jesus. See, Jesus was pre-existent. He wasn't born and, and came into existence uh, on that day in Bethlehem. Uh, he existed previously. He was the one who sat in council with God, the Father, and God, the Holy Spirit, and they said, let us make man in our image. He had his hand in creation. As much as we see the power of Christ, the creator, we also see Christ's power as sustainer. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says this, Who, being in the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, end up holding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Do you notice what it says there, right in the middle of the verse, and it says, and upholding all things, by the word of his power. Colossians 1.17 says this, And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. This passage explains uh, that not only did Christ design and create all things, but he is also the orchestrator and the sustainer of all things. Meaning everything continues as it is because God's power, his sustaining power, we look at the, the, this world as it spins on its axis. We look at the, the laws of nature, and, and, and I begin to look into the laws of nature. As we can describe them, we can talk about what they are. Right? We observe them. Uh, we, we can observe the law of gravity because we can see the law of gravity. You know, the old story is that an apple fell on Isaac Newton's head, and he discovered it. 
Well, guess what? Things fell before that. It just somebody finally was able to to write, observe it, and then write it down. They, he noted that that natural law. There are other uh, there are other laws that Newton had. His first, second, and third third principle uh, or law. Oh, we, those are observed things. But you know what they can't do through science is explain where those laws came from. They can only observe what they do and how they work. But the Word of God tells us that it is by the Word of God, His sustaining power. I don't know how I'm able to get up and walk around, how atoms and molecules work. I, 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 I'm not that scientifically uh, uh, educated to be able to, 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 even just to be able to correctly explain it to you, or explainify if you want to say it. I, I'm not able to put it all into words, but even those that can observe those things and describe those things cannot tell you why the, the, the way nature acts the way that it acts. Why, why, things, why things just don't fall apart. But God can. It's his sustaining power. Every leaf that flutters on the on the, uh, uh, the the tree before it falls, every every snowflake that comes down, and they're all different. Every every, every uh, child that is born, every 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 uh, grass of or blade of grass that grows. I want you to understand it is it exists and it continues on only because of the sustaining power of Jesus Christ. It requires as much power to conserve or to keep things to continue as it does to create. John Peterson wrote a hymn titled, All Glory to Jesus. The first verse is this, All glory to Jesus, the begotten of God, the great I am is he, creator, sustainer, but wonder of all, the Lamb of Calvary. I want you to understand that he is not only the creator, but the sustainer of all things. You and I can continue in this life because of the power of God. Every breath that you take, every time you wake up, I asked Brother Donald when he came in this morning, how are you doing? He goes, well, I'm upright. My feet are on the ground. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank God, because guess what? Without the sustaining power of God, he wouldn't have woken up this morning, and neither would you. We're all, we're all here. We're able to f fight off whatever viruses that are out there. Guess what? It's because of the sustaining power of God. It's not that your immune system is just better than everything else. God gave you the ability to do those things. So we see his, his power as creator. We see his power as sustainer. We're going to focus on this last third point, and it has several points, so please don't shoot me. Christ's power as redeemer. Christ's power as Redeemer. Isaiah chapter 49, verse 26 says this, And I will feed them that oppress thee with their own flesh, and they shall be drunken with their own blood, as with sweet wine. And all flesh shall know that I, the Lord, am thy Savior and thy Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. Jesus Christ was not just the Creator. Jesus Christ is not just the Sustainer, but but his role, his, 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 his greatest power, his greatest work was not in the, the development of this world. It was not when he said, let there be light, but when he became the light of man. His, his greatest sustaining role was not in that he keeps this world going, but in the fact that he transforms and renews the heart of everyone who puts their faith in Jesus Christ. For by grace are you saved through faith. 
Jesus said unto Nicodemus, ye must be born again. If that life does not take place, there is no salvation. But when that does, that to me, I believe, and I will argue it today, is the greatest power of Jesus Christ. To take something that was dead and trespasses and sins and to give it life. We're going to look at seven aspects of this redeeming power, this redeeming work of Christ. First of all, we see his power to come to earth. Our text is Isaiah 9, 6. It says, for unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given. It goes on to say, and his name shall be called the mighty God. Luke one thirty five says this, And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. When we think of Jesus' birth, we think of a tiny child, and many times we get stuck and we get focused upon this little baby that was born and wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger. And we think of the, 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 the power that was in his hands that would one day heal uh, uh, the lame man and the leper. We, talk, we think of the, the, the power that was in his feet that would one day walk upon, upon waters. We, we think about the, the power in those lips that would one day say, thy sins are forgiven thee. But I want you to understand the greater power was not in what he did here on this earth the greater power was 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 what was in him that little baby is not just a baby that little child that little that little infant was god in the flesh all the power all the glory all the wonderful power of god was harnessed in that tiny child while it was a natural birth, while, while, while Mary, uh, th- there was not some glowing light and suddenly the baby appeared, uh, she, she travailed in birth, she, she carried him for nine months in the womb. While, while that was natural, his conception was not natural. Now, we've all been born. We've all got mamas and daddies. And it works the same way for all of us, but this child, the Bible tells us that while it was the, the seed of the woman, it was the Spirit of God which moved upon the seed of the woman. This holy life of the infinite preexistent Son of God was melded with the seed of a woman and the mighty God, Jesus Christ, was born into this world. To deny this truth is to, is to, to rob Christ of his sinless deity. To say that, that, to say that, 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 he, that, he, that he was not God before is to say that he was a creation. And listen, I'm telling you something. The Bible teaches us this wonderful, amazing fact that he existed long before you or I ever did, long before this world ever did. In fact, the Bible says before the foundations of the the, the world, the lamb was slain. How can you create something if he was not yet here? Denies him of a sinless deity. If we accept this by faith, we, are, we recognize his sovereignty and we worship the Christ child. And to, to, to actually celebrate Christmas this season, we must do that. It's interesting. There is a statue in Trafalgar, I'm going to mispronounce it, Trafalgar Square, I believe is what it's called, in London, England. There's a, there's a statue that's been placed there about a, uh, it's of a man named Lord Nelson. Uh, uh, he fought a, a massive battle and led England to victory over Spain and France. And, and to honor him, they, they built this, this uh, statue and they placed it in the middle of Trafalgar Square. Uh, and and the, because he was so prominent, because they wanted to honor him, they exalted it. They lifted it up and they set it on top of a column. Do you know how tall that column was? I have to look. It was like 
156 feet, I believe it was. Nobody could see it. People that go to, to look at it, to examine it, can't really discern it because it's so far away. It's, it's, it's high and lifted up. And, and they, they go and they, can, they, they, they get a, a, a slight understanding of what his visage, his face looks like, but they're not unable to really discern it. But it was interesting, in, in, in 1900, uh, there was a, a celebration going on, and they, they had a plaster, uh, exact replica made, and they brought it down to eye level. And people could come and they could see it for the first time, and they could see uh, uh, the, 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 his, his face as it really was. It was no longer high and lifted up, and, and so far away that it couldn't be seen. Now it was brought down to their level to where they could see and they could understand. And so like, like God, when Christ came to this earth, we see God in human flesh. We see his form, and we see all of the attributes, his love, his mercy, his kindness, in a way that we could never see it before. This is the Christmas message. Our, our view of God was, was inhibited by our finite vision of him, but Christ brought the glory and the attributes of God down to our level so that we could see his face, to see him as, like he is. At Bethlehem, the most high became the most nigh. So we see Christ's power to come to earth. We see Christ's power not only to come to earth, but also to live on earth. Romans 1.4 says this, And declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. Christ manifested himself as the mighty God by the spirit of holiness with which he lived on this sinful earth. There, listen, uh, there have been people, uh, there, are, there are 8 billion people on this earth, and there have been billions more in times past that have lived and died. None of them lived a holy life. See, we're all, we're all born with the same disposition, the same old, uh, the same earthly nature, which brings us to sin. Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so the death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. When you were born, you were born a sinner. Because of your sin nature, you sin. It's like a dog that wags its tail because it's a dog. I've never seen a cat wag its tail unless it was, you know, going to bite me or something. And so, uh, so we, because of our sin nature, sin. But Jesus Christ, born, yes, uh, uh, yes, born of a woman, but through the power and the movement of the Holy Spirit of God, was born and lived a holy life. Notice that he mingled with sinners, but yet he remained holy. He was. Uh, the Pharisees looked down upon him because he sat at meat with. And, and, and go and visit the houses of, of the, the harlots and the tax collectors. In fact, they, they called him out on it, on it many times. And uh, He was called a, uh, one who, uh, a wine-bibber. I want you to understand, he, he, was, he, he, he was amongst those people, but he was never those people. When we get around other fallen people, our, our, our flesh will many times cause us to fall into their own sin. Birds of a feather flock together. Uh, uh, we all have the same, same uh, earthly nature, but Jesus Christ did not. Hebrews 7.26 says, For such an high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. Jesus Christ lived on this earth, but he lived holy. Not only did he mingle with sinners, yet remained holy, 
He was confronted by Satan and resisted. Hebrews 4.15 says this, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. You and I face temptation every single day. Sometimes it's, it's, a, it's, it's a weakness of our own lusts. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a thought of our own mind. Sometimes it's, it's, a, it's a trap laid by Satan before us. But I want you to understand that, that we are tempted every single day, and many times we fall into that temptation because of the weakness of our flesh. Even Paul said, the things that I would not do, I do, and the things that I, 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 I would do, I don't do. He's talking about that battle between the spirit and the flesh. But Jesus never Jesus never failed. Jesus never fell into temptation. Instead, he resisted without sin. He was confronted, but he resisted. We also see his power to speak on earth. Christ's power to speak on earth. Jesus didn't come to speak and he didn't come to teach. He came to die, but he did speak on this earth. And when he did speak, he spoke with authority. There were many men who would stand and speak. Pharisees and scribes who would get up and speak. And, and people were used to in that day uh, of hearing some preacher stand there and declare some truth or, or what was to be some truth. But when Jesus spoke, there was authority in his statements. Mark chapter 122 says this, And they were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. Jesus Christ spoke with authority. Matthew 5, 21, 22 says, Ye have heard it was said of them by old time. Thou shalt not kill, and whatsoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you, that whosoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of judgment. There was an authority to a statement because, because he was the authority. Jesus is the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. There was an originality of his sources. Uh, he said, while they quoted a people from the past, he said, I say it to you. In fact, Jesus Christ is the most quoted most translated, most distributed of anybody who's ever spoken in his life. More people have laid down their lives to, to have his word translated, to have his word printed, to have his word distributed than anybody else. They don't do that for Aristotle. They don't do it for Plato. They don't do that for, for, for anybody else but for Christ. There's authority in his words. Languages have been converted for the simple effect of communicating the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there is no other words that has changed more lives than the words of Jesus Christ. His word is transformative. His word will save. His word will renew and, and change us. Nobody else's words do that. I get up here and I, I, I preach, but I'm not preaching my own word because the truth is I've got nothing productive to say, but the word of God can change your life in a way that no man can. His power to speak on this earth. And I am thankful that his power to speak didn't end when he left this earth. But his power to speak is that he can still continue to work in our hearts today. 
Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. He had power to speak. He had power to work on this earth. Luke chapter 24, verse 19 says this, And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, this is the, the two men on the road to Emmaus, is they're, they're speaking to Christ, not realizing who they're speaking to. And, and they're saying, Have you heard of him? And he says, What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty in deed and word, before God and all the people. They're saying, Have, have you heard about the wonderful, mighty works of God, this, this man Jesus? His works were mighty on this earth. He had power over sickness. People that were lame, people that, that had issues of blood, people that were blind, people that were dumb, people that were leprous. It came to him and he healed them. I can't do that. You can't do that. There's no one here on this earth that has the power to heal with their word or with their touch, but Christ had power. In fact, we see the response of those that, that saw it. Uh, verse, uh, Mark 7.37, when seeing that he had healed a man who was deaf, uh, it says, and, verse 37 says, and were beyond measure astonished, saying, he hath done all things well. <laughs> he maketh both the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. They were amazed at the power of God. Listen, you have to remember the people of Israel were looking for signs and wonders to point to the one who was the Messiah, and he performed those signs and wonders. They were astonished. He had power over sickness. He had power to feed the hungry. John 6, 14, we read of, of how he fed uh, the multitudes. It says, then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, this is of a truth. That prophet that should come into the world, his, the, the work that he did pointed to the fact that he was the Messiah. He had power over the storm. Think of the, uh, the, the account of, of the, the disciples as they were there in the boat thinking that they were going to die. Men who lived on the water, men whose that their job was to go out and fish, had faced storms before, but they thought this was the end, and they woke him up because he was sleeping. When he told the winds and the waves to cease, it says this, Matthew eight twenty seven. But the men marveled, saying, "What manner of man is this that even the winds and the waves obey him?" He had power over the natural world. He had power over demons. Matthew 9.33, uh, he cast out a, a, a demon in this, in this passage. It says, and when the devil was cast out, the dumb spake, and the multitudes marveled, saying, it was never so seen in Israel. He had power to forgive sins, the greatest power of all. See, while he had given those same powers of powers over the sickness and demons uh, to his disciples and had sent them out by two by two to, 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 to preach the truth and to do those things, he didn't give anybody the power to forgive sins. In fact, the only one that can, that can forgive sins is God himself. And if you remember the account when, when the, the, the layman is let down through the, through the, uh, uh, through the roof and uh, he says to the layman, thy sins are forgiven thee. In the, in the hearts and the minds of the Pharisees that were sitting around listening, they began to grumble and, and get angry and upset because who can forgive sins? And Jesus, knowing what was in their hearts and in their minds, said, you're upset about, the, and I'm paraphrasing, by the way. He says, you're upset that I, I said that I can forgive sins, but which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven thee or get up and walk? And then he said, so that you know I can forgive sins, get up and walk. And the lame man stood up and praised God. 
But I want you to see what it says there. In Matthew 9, 8, it says, But when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God, which had given such power unto men. They saw the forgiveness of God. They saw the power of God in Jesus Christ. He had the power to work on this earth. He had the power to die on this earth. And this is something that is important for each and every one of us to grasp. We all have the power to die. Because the truth is, we will all die. It's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. Every person that, besides Jesus Christ who was ever born on this earth has taken a final breath, or they will one day take their final breath, and they will close their eyes in death. As many times as I performed CPR, as many times as I resuscitated somebody and got pulses back, and they, there were those that were awake when we got to the hospital, which astounds me uh, at the grace of God. But I want you to understand that as many times as that happened, there is a day that they will take their final breath. Jesus is the only one who ever chose to die. He chose to leave his infinite, immortal self and humble himself and lower himself, according to Philippians chapter 2, and become obedient to death, even the death of the cross. He did that for you and for me. For, 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 for the entire world, the Bible tells us in John 3.16. But uh, uh, he had the power to lay down his life. John 10, 17, 18 says this, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down. It was voluntary. He was not forced to go to the cross against his will. He submitted his will to the will of the Father. It was voluntary in his motive. Matthew 20, 28 says this, Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. His death didn't have, it wasn't meaningless. His death, well, death was with purpose. Because without his death, there would be no payment for sin. And you and I would be judged in our sin. But because of the death of Jesus Christ, uh, the ransom has been, has, been, has been paid. He voluntarily laid it down. There's voluntary in its motive. is voluntary in its method. See, there were other times when they tried to kill him. There were other times when they tried to pick up stones and stone him. And while he escaped death at the hands of his enemies several times, he told his disciples before his death, Matthew 20, 19, and he sh and shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify him, and the third day he shall rise again. There was an appointed time. There was going to become a time when he was delivered, not against his will, but according to the will. It was voluntary in its method, Voluntary in his movement, moment. There was a moment when he died. There was a work that had to be done. There were many that wanted to kill him, but none that had the ability to kill him until it was the time. And at the appointed time, the Bible tells us he gave up the ghost. John 19.30 says, When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar... 
He said, it is finished. What do you mean by it is finished? He had taken as much as he could take. He couldn't handle another moment of the suffering that he was going through. No. What was finished was the fact that the wrath of God had been placed upon him and the wrath of God was satisfied, according to Isaiah 53.11. And when that was done, when the payment was paid, he said, it is finished. And the rest of that verse says, he gave up the ghost. See, you and I will cling to life with the best of our ability. We, we hear the words cancer, we hear the words uh, some other terminal illness, and we'll fight it for all we've got until we've got no fight left in us anymore, and we give up. But I'm telling you that he didn't give up because he couldn't handle it anymore. I'm telling you he gave up because the work was done. He gave up because it was the time appointed by the Father that he was to die. It was voluntary because it was time. Mark 15, verse 39, tells us this. When the centurion, which stood over against him, saw that, that what that is, is the death of our Savior, Jesus Christ. He witnessed that final breath. He heard that final statement. It is finished. And he gave up the ghost. And he says, and gave up the ghost. And he said that, that he so cried out and gave up the ghost. And that centurion, he said, truly, this man is the Son of God. standing there watching and witnessing. There were those that mocked him, and there were those that saw only what they wanted to see. But the glory of God and the power of God opened the eyes of some. There was a man who hung on a cross uh, next to Jesus who saw him for who he was. Yes, he started out with mocking like everybody else did, but there came a point in time when he tried to silence the other and said, remember me this day. What did Jesus say? Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. There was a, a centur that centurion that we just read about who stood there, watched all that was to take place, had, had his hand in probably the persecution and the, the crucifixion of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But when he saw what happened, his response was, this man is the Son of God. There's an account of a freed slave who was at the funeral procession of Abraham Lincoln. She had a young child, and she, as they were carrying the body of the slain president beyond, past, she lifted up the child as high as she could, and she said, take a long look at him, son. That man died for you. To look unto Christ who died for you is to receive life, to find cleansing for sin and discover motive for the defeat of temptation. Take a long look at the Savior this morning. Don't look at him as a child in a manger, but look at him as, as a Savior who died for you, who gave you victory over sin and victory over death. It reconciled you to the Father. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There was power to lay down his life. And praise God, there's power to rise on earth. The verse we read in John chapter 10, verse 18, no man taketh it from me. He says, but I lay it down on myself. He says, I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received, received of my Father. Many have been resuscitated. 
There were those that were risen from the dead. We read the accounts of, of several in the New Testament that Jesus raised from the dead. You read some in the Old Testament that were raised from the dead. But, but the truth is, while they were risen, they died again. Uh, uh, the, uh, uh, there was a, a preacher uh, by the name of F. F.B. Meyer, he said, referring to those who had been risen, said they had one cradle and two coffins. Every time that their heart was started again, it came to a stop again. But Jesus Christ, having had victory over the grave, victory over death, rose again to live forever. Death had no dominion over him. Romans 6, 9 says this, knowing that Christ is being raised, be, is being raised from the dead, dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. This is one of the greatest truths of the Christian faith. In fact, it is the cornerstone for you and for I. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if there is no resurrection, if there is no resurrection, then we of all men are most miserable. The entire faith, uh, Christian faith, falls and rests upon this fact because there would be no hope of salvation. There would be no hope for our, for, our, for our victory over death. There would be no hope for our inheritance of eternal life if there was no victory over death, if there was no resurrection. Our faith is not based upon a feeling or an unfounded idea about what, many have, about what may have happened in the past. It is not an isolated rumor, but it's a historical fact. In the early 1900s, a group of lawyers met in England to discuss uh, the biblical accounts of Jesus' resurrection. They wanted to test if, if uh, the information that they, that they could gather, uh, that, that, that was gathered at that point in time, was enough that it could be proven in, uh, in court. And so they, they began an investigation. After a period of months, they came to this conclusion and they published it. That, that it was the, one of the most uh, documented, one of the most provable facts of, of, of history. There's a, a book that's been written uh, by a man named Lee Strobel uh, called The Case for Christ. His wife uh, came to Christ and he was an atheist. And it, it bothered him so much that she, would, that she would fall into that misbelief as far as he understood it. That, that he tried to prove it wrong. As a, as a journalist, he, he began to study and to, to, to look into it. And you know what happened at the end of it? He got saved. Why? Because there's more proof of the resurrection than there is of most anything else that we take by faith. He had power to take it up again. Lastly, we see Christ's power to save. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for this power. Hebrews 7.25 says this, Wherefore, he is able to save them to the uttermost, that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. While he was here on this earth, Jesus prayed for the disciples. You see it in John chapter 17. But one of my favorite parts uh, in John 17 is, is that he didn't just pray for those, those men that walked with him. He prays for, prayed for those that, that would one day believe on him, having never seen him. Do you know who that is? You and me. Praise God. Uh, he prayed for us. Uh, he prayed for us while he walked out here on this earth. But the Bible said when he died and rose, uh, rose and went up into heaven, and then he sits at the right hand of the Father, uh, it tells us here in this verse that he ever liveth to make intercession. That work that he did while he was here on this earth and prayed for us then, he continues to pray for us now. He intercedes uh, on our behalf with the Father. 
He has power to save, to intercede. Listen, he, if you are saved here this morning, he has already interceded on your behalf for the penalty of sin. You and I were born sinners. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so the death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. We're sinners by nature and we're sinners by act. For by, uh, the Bible says, uh, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We don't have to teach our children to sin. They're born with, with a selfish, self-centered, sinful nature. They lie, they steal, they hit, they, they get angry, they can't control their emotions. Now they have to grow and learn, and, and people can do that. You can learn to control your temper even outside of salvation. But you're still a sinner. You can change the things that you do. You can change the, the places that you go, and you can dress differently, and you can act differently, you can stop certain things. Uh, you're, you're, you are, just because you are a sinner does not mean you're going to be a drug addict or a drunk. Or, or, but, but what those that do that, guess what? They're sinners. But guess what? Those that are proud, they're sinners too. We're all sinners. We're all in need of the grace of God. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You don't earn your way to heaven. You don't, it's not a balance of your good and, and evil, and if your good is better or is, is more than, uh, than, and outweighs the evil, then, hey, you'll get to heaven. You're not going to get to heaven, and God says, well, you were, yes, you did this, this, and this, but because of this, because of what you did here, we're going to let you slide by. That's not how it works. Try to go to court that way. I'm sorry, officer. Yeah, I know I, I stole that car and I, I, I ran through speed, uh, speed, uh, signs and, and I out, tried to outrun the cops, but for the most part, I, this is the first time I've ever gotten caught. See if he let you go. It ain't going to happen. God is a just judge. And our, judge, our, 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 our sin must be paid for. But it was paid for by Jesus Christ. See, he had power on earth to save us from the penalty of sin. We are justified by his works. Look at 1 John with me. 1 John chapter 3, verse 9. Whosoever is born of God doth not... I gave you the wrong one. So I'm sorry, Romans chapter 5. If you, if you found it, keep your finger there because we're coming right back. But Romans chapter 5. Verse 18. It says, therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. The offense of, of Adam, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, Jesus Christ, the free gift came upon all men unto justification for life, or of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offenses might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound, that as sin reigned unto death, even so might grace reign unto righteousness, unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, payment, the atonement for our sin. Jesus Christ died for our sin. He gave us a victory uh, he, because he died for the penalty of our sin. 
And because of that, Romans 8, verse 1, is, is true for every single one of us. There, there is, there, if you're saved, let me clarify. If you're a child of God, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. You and I stand before God justified. What that means is God has declared you righteous because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. This is, it tells us that Paul says that he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we could become the righteous, righteousness of God in him. What a truth. We have, we have uh, that penalty. We've been saved from the penalty of, of our sin because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ and his atoning death. He's given us, that's in the past, if we're saved. If you're saved, not only are we saved from the penalty of sin, but also the power of sin. 1 John 3, 9. This is what I was trying to get you to go to a minute ago. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. I'm not going to stand here and tell you that if you're saved, you'll never sin again. Because the Bible tells us in 1 John 1, 9, if we sin... To confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if we say that we do no sin, that we're a liar and the truth is not in us. So what I, understand, I, I, what I understand through Scripture and through First John is that, that while I sin, there is a part of me that cannot sin. There is a spiritual part of you. Uh, if you have been born again, the Spirit of God dwells in you. And that part of you is holy. And that part of you is beginning to transform you from the inside out. Listen, if you're a drunk, you can stop drinking. If you're, an, if you're, if you're, if you're a, a, a drug-addicted person, you can stop taking drugs and get clean. But listen, if you're a liar, you can stop lying. If you, you can stop doing the outward things. But the only thing that changes the inside is the Spirit of God. The power of God forgives us of our sins. It, it saves us from the penalty of sin. It gives us power over sin means I don't have to sin anymore. I don't have to. It doesn't mean I won't. As Paul said, the things that I would do, I do not. And the things that I, 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 I don't want to do, I do. It's that battle that we face. But we don't have to. The Bible says, should I sin that grace may abound? And it says, God forbid. So God's given us power over the penalty of sin, power over the power of sin. That's the past and the present. But praise the Lord, Christ has the power to save on earth because we can be saved from the presence of sin. Look back to verse 2 of 1 John chapter 3. It says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, or we shall see him as he is. There is going to come a time when the work of Christ in me is finished. And that which is faulty, that which is corruptible, that, that flesh that I, that I carry with me, that I have to put to death every single day, that will be gone. There will no longer be temptation. There will no longer be struggle. The, the presence of sin in my life will be gone. I will be like Christ as he is be holy. What's that life that is in me now will be all that is me. 
Hebrews 7.25 says, Wherefore he is able to save them to the uttermost. They come unto God by him. That word uttermost means as, as, it, it, the outliers. There is nobody that Christ can't save. There is no light that Christ cannot change. There, 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 there is no one that is beyond the reach of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. His power is able to save. We, we look sometimes at others, and, and in our self-righteousness, we say, well, there's no way they could get saved. Well, God saved you, didn't he? And on the other side of this, there are those that they hear about the saving grace of Christ, and they think, there's no way he could save a sinner like me. But I'm here to tell you that you are not outside of the grace of God. I'm here to tell you that his power is able to save. There is no sin that God cannot forgive. There is no life that God cannot change. There is no, no, no chain that God cannot break. I want you to understand that Christ has the power to save on this earth. And the only way to truly celebrate, celebrate Christmas is to worship Christ as he is. The mighty God. The mighty God. He has the power to create. He has the power to sustain. He has the power to save. If you're here this morning, if you're here this morning and you've never trusted in Christ by faith, you've never, you, you, maybe you tried to do it on your own. You, you tried to earn your way to heaven or, or tried to do good or be, I'm, I'm telling you, uh, there is none righteous. No, not one is what the Bible teaches us. We cannot compare ourselves against each other because none of us uh, have, have ever attained. The Bible says, it says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. See, God is the, the standard of holiness. And when we all measure ourselves against him, we all find ourselves have fallen short. If you've never come to Christ, if you've never trusted in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, know that he wants to save you today. He wants to save you. He says, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Stop trying to do it yourself. Stop trying to earn it. Stop trying to work for it. Trust Christ alone. If you're here today and you're saved, praise the Lord for that. But you've been focused more on the things that are going on and the traditions with Christmas. It's so easy to get caught up in all those things. We get so busy. But Satan uses that busyness, the busyness of the season and the busyness of the time to, to misdirect our, our eyes. And to, to, to focus on things that honestly, truthfully don't matter. Whether or not you have a tree or got your Christmas presents bought and wrapped, don't matter. If you don't have one, it doesn't matter. If you don't buy a gift for anybody, it doesn't matter. See, what the Christmas season is truly about is about Jesus Christ. So don't allow yourselves to get so caught up in all these things. Instead, redirect your focus. Yes, to a child who was born in a manger. Remember, he didn't stay in that manger. Remember that he was born to die, and that he died for you. And if you're saved, you can celebrate, and you can worship him in that. Worship him as the mighty God that he is. Father God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your word. God, I pray that you would bless this time. I pray, God, that you would speak to our hearts. Or if there's one here today that's never trusted in you, I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. 
that they would see Christ for the first time as the Savior. God, I pray you'd have your way in, in our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Heads bowed, nice clothes, just for a moment.